Hey guys, it's Destry. And Katie. And we're the Practical Idealists. Today we are on a mission <laughs> to figure out exactly why Aladdin could potentially be the worst of the Disney remakes. It might have been one of the worst movies I've ever watched. This one was so poorly envisioned, so poorly put together that by like the finale, like the third half, I was so checked out that I didn't even care. I was just offended by the entire movie. From the very first moment to the very last moment, I was deeply personally insulted that this movie had been made. This was like the first of 25 drafts. Well, the funny thing is when I did my research, I found out that they only did one test screening and it yielded literally no changes or results because in Guy Ritchie's paraphrased words, he was already confident in the viability of the original product. So he knew that he didn't have to change anything because it was well received back in 1992 and he basically did a shot-for-shot shot remake of the animated film, so what's the problem? In other words, the movie's gonna sell itself. I don't actually have to make anything that's good because people are gonna come see it no matter what. Which I think is pretty much the bottom line about everything that we have learned about the making of this movie. And I think a lot of it comes down to a couple of very particular issues well, before we get started on our, our headlining topics, can we just, for a second, talk about how when we went into this movie, I knew it wasn't going to be good. What I wasn't expecting was that every quality of this movie, the costumes, the sets, the CG, the direction, the acting, the music, every single aspect of this movie was insultingly terrible. Like, there are a lot of movies that I can watch and was like, wow, that was a bad movie, let's watch it again. This is a movie that I was considering walking out of and I have never done that. I haven't done that in theater, I haven't done that in movies, but I cannot believe that this was allowed to be put in front of people, like actual human beings. Like we deserve better than this. And not just people who love the movie, but people who are paying money to see something deserve better than what was presented. The freaking Game of Thrones Starbucks cup in the shot was better than this entire movie. I was waiting to see a boom or something in a shot because they obviously didn't care about any other aspect of the movie. Why should they care about that? I was actually really upset when we left this movie. I didn't even want to record this podcast today because I have never seen something where I don't have a single good thing to say about it. And I feel bad on my part because of that because I tend to pride myself on being able to look at things critically and see what was done well, what wasn't done well, and know why I like and dislike things. I have never once not been able to do that. In this movie, there was not a single thing that was done well. Not a single thing. And I'm, I'm upset with myself for saying that, and I'm more upset for everyone involved in that movie for making it. Which is exactly why we're trying to solve the mystery. Yep. If nothing else, we should be able to understand and comprehend exactly the elements that came together or didn't, in this case, come together to create this. It's like breaking down a murder scene. <laughs> what exactly occurred on this day and time 
that created this bloodbath. And like you were saying, I think a big part of it had to do with the director. I don't even know, who is Guy Ritchie? All I know about him is that he directed some kind of Madonna movie and <laughs> they got involved with each other. And that is literally all I know. So when I was doing my research, apparently he is well known for portraying quote-unquote hustlers in movies. So in that sense, I guess Disney thought that maybe he could bring something to the table with making Aladdin like the streetwise hustler that they envisioned him as. And also there was a synergy between his personal and professional life because he has five children. Ew. And his oldest is 18. So in his own words, he says that I've been up to my eyeballs in Disney productions for 19 years. And there were family demands that it was about time that I made a movie that we could all watch together. So let's note that this begins a theme that we see and we will see repeated as we continue talking about this. The director didn't particularly care what movie it was he was directing. And that seems to be the sentiment of the actors, because I watched a lot of interviews and I read a lot of reviews and stuff in preparation for this. And maybe I'm just reading in between the lines here based on what I heard a lot of the actors say, but it appears to me that he's a pretty hands-off director. And he basically chose to allow the actors to create and then quote-unquote molded the end product from what he was given. So instead of having a particular vision or an understanding of the material and then asking things of his actors and of his crew, he basically just let them do what they wanted to do and then moved them around a little bit and like gave them notes and that was it. But he's also on record as saying that he was interested in, in his words, quote, not betraying the essence of the original and quote unquote, reconciling the old with the new and quote unquote, did not want to add by subtraction. He wanted to embellish upon it. So he didn't want to create an original movie. <laughs> he didn't want to create anything that was really new because he said he wanted to remake the original but he didn't. No, it was a very poor imitation. Like, remember back in the 90s when all these big movies were coming out and all of the the low-budget animation studios did, like, their rip-off of them? That's what this feels like. I literally feel like he was like, well, we have to hit all of these marks within the movie and we have to check all of these boxes. So as long as that gets done, which it really honestly didn't, but I can see why to him it would look that way, then I did my job. But I think him saying that also puts into context why he cast who he did as Aladdin. Because the guy, like, visually, he's a great Aladdin. I would be thrilled to see someone like that in a Disney park. And if that's what he was going for, was like a really, that was his vision, was to try to make what he saw in the original, then... That makes sense for that. It also makes sense that the sets and the costumes would be so horrible looking because he was trying to directly translate animation, like, you know, a, a very flat, brightly colored, insane thing onto reality. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to make what isn't reality, reality. And I mean, I think that that touches on the point that we're ultimately trying to make here. The intention was not to recreate 
the original in a contextual script analysis mm -hmm. sort of way, but in a visual, well, this is what it looked like. In a literal way. Right. And we're going to have all of the same set pieces and basically all of the same scenes play out like they did in the movie, but this time it's live action instead. So all that mattered was what you were seeing, not what you were feeling from it. Like he didn't do any kind of work on what the story was trying to say or anything like that. They're hoping to evoke the same emotion by showing you the same thing, which you were telling me last night that Guy Ritchie is known for directing music videos too. That's how he began his career. And I think that kind of makes sense too, is that music videos are about showing. Granted, I'm, I'm not a pop person, but that's the way I've always understood music videos. It's, it's supposed to give you something flashy to look at while you're listening to the point. So he's about seeing these crazy visuals, not really about constructing an emotional through line. And again, in his words, he was challenged, but not intimidated by the traditional musical, this is my words now, the traditional musical schematic. And it just sounded to me, based on the way that he was speaking in interviews, that I have this long ago experience with directing music videos that he admits that he essentially forgot about. Uh. So I'm qualified enough, but because there's a particular way that a traditional musical is staged and a traditional musical is framed, oh, well, now I have to be able to tell a complete through line story with these visuals. However, that's far from what he did. So I thought it was interesting when I was doing my research that I found this review and it's Kendra James from The Verge. And I think that it kind of speaks to the credit of Guy Ritchie, but not in defense of. So the quote is this, when you strip all the music away, Aladdin is at its heart a film about two men, a heist, and a big con. One of Ritchie's favorite dynamics. Viewed through a certain lens, Aladdin is about a poor orphan and the Sultan's evil vizier Jafar chasing down a valuable lamp from a mysterious location then spending the rest of the movie trying to get it back from each other. Meanwhile, they both angle to get the girl through a series of elaborate lies. I don't believe that Aladdin is structured that way. That's not what I cut from it at all and that's not what Aladdin was structured to be. And to think of it as, as such is to not actually watch the movie. Right. I'm so angry about this movie that every time I try even to conceive of like, well, maybe he was thinking about it like this, but he couldn't have been because that's not what the movie was. I do think that there is a certain amount of antagonism between Jafar and Aladdin because they both want the same object. It's like a MacGuffin. Like, everybody yeah. wants it, so everyone's tripping over themselves and each other to get it. So I do agree with that point, and I do think that that's important to the movie. But I guess my issue is that with that interpretation, and this is the part that I didn't read, is that Jafar lacks any necessary sense of menace. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Because he had literally almost no character to speak of, there was no antagonism. That element of the movie that she's talking about here didn't really honestly exist. It existed on paper, maybe. But in the original movie, the only time that there's any real sense of antagonism between Jafar and Aladdin 
is when they are face to face and Aladdin is actively trying to stop him. Yeah. And at that moment, you see Jafar going, oh my God. All I want is what you have somehow managed to get your hands on by not really doing anything. (laughs) This is what I want. How are you getting it? How are you getting the power? How are you getting the respect? How are you getting the girl? How are you getting the genie? How are you getting all of these things without actually trying? I'm going about it in all of these clever ways. I'm making plans. I've created spells. I've come up with all of these intricate plots to get everything I want. And you just show up and get it. That's the only time you actually see him get pissed off. Yeah. Every other time he's just like, "Uh, you're funny, I'm going to crush you. On Aladdin's part, he sees that too, where he's like, if you just weren't an asshole, this could have been so much easier for you. Hashtag diamond in the rough. Exactly. (laughs) Which they use so improperly here. They use it as a construct instead of an idea. Because in the original animated film, when they use the term diamond in the rough, It's supposed to represent a vibe or an emotion. It's supposed to evoke something. Like, you know what that means without knowing what it means. But he is literally tasking his people with finding the literal diamond in the rough. What the fuck does that even realistically, practically mean? What I understood it was that he had read some kind of prophecy. Right. So that was like, well, I don't know. Just go find this guy. And they never really explained it, though. In this one, it just kind of falls into his lap. Yeah. And yet, in the original, it's so much cleaner, so much easier, and it makes so much more sense where he's like, you know what? I'm going to use my powers to divine exactly what he's looking for. And that's how he finds Aladdin. And if you really want to give him credit for something that he didn't do, (laughs) I guess you could say that maybe Jafar enchanted Iago to be able to see it. Because Iago's the one who sees Aladdin. Yeah. And he, like, swoops back around and he's like, dude, it's them in the rough. You should go catch him. I mean, if you really want to stretch things, I mean, I guess it's possible that he's like, all right, go and find him for me now. You Alan Tudyk bird. You Alan Tudyk bird. <laughs> so the last thing that I had about Guy Ritchie, which we'll be bringing him up throughout the rest of this, is, and this is another quote, and this is his quote. It's hard to be specific about what it is that you're supposed to derive from it. Already off to a bad start. Back to the quote other than a sensation that can only really be encapsulated by a very positive version of being uncynical. Let's break this down. So number one, I don't really know what I'm trying to make happen. (laughs) It kind of like, I guess maybe, I don't know what the word is, but positivity? (laughs) Hopefulness? I guess it must be uncynicalness because hopefulness doesn't exist in my vocabulary. So I guess a Disney movie is supposed to make people happy? So back to the quote, we want people to leave with a sense of positivity and hopefully a sense of freshness. Really, it's a question of how we'd like people to leave the cinema. What does freshness mean? <laughs> how, how are you supposed to feel freshness? Is he gonna like shoot everybody with a water gun before they leave the theater? Like Just as Jafar cannot quantify the idea posed by the sentiment of diamond in the rough, neither can he divine (laughs) what it is that he is attempting to do here. I guess I kind of want people to be happy when they leave the theater, but like, I don't know, like- But he does use that fucking term so many damn times. Fresh? Freshness. We want to give a sense of freshness. What the fuck are you talking about? I just- (laughs) So again, underlying this whole thing, 
Guy Ritchie did not care or know a, what to do or with. know what to do with a single aspect of this movie <laughs> from the emotional standpoint to the characters to the actual story itself he did not know or care all right i think we're done with the guy rich segment next give me more <laughs> so the next thing that we wanted to talk about was the aladdin character well the casting in general but yeah. starting with aladdin so as a character he was envisioned to be a again quote hustler which i think aladdin is a lot of things i've never considered <clears throat> that adjective for him i guess that it fits based on his socioeconomic status in the fantasy realm of Agrabah, but... Well, this is what I found interesting. When you when you were showing me these quotes and he said that he envisioned Aladdin as a hustler, in this movie, Aladdin wasn't a hustler. In the original movie, he totally was. Mm -hmm. In the original movie, you see him smooth-talking people, you see him finding ways of getting people what they need. Like, he is very active in the economic system of the underworld of Agrabah and he's making sure that things happen. In this movie, to me, what I what I got from Aladdin was that he was a super smart guy who was finding a way to make things work. Mm -hmm. Like he seemed kind of like an upstanding citizen in this one. <laughs> well, of course he was an upstanding citizen except for the part where he interrupts the female school session. Yes, because there's no more prostitutes in Agrabah. How dare you even think that that could be a possibility. Never prostitute. <laughs> so using another quote from Guy Ritchie here, and this just muddies the waters even more. Quote, arguably, Aladdin is the parable of the prodigal son. <laughs> he is a man who tries to apply himself to materialism, then recognizes the futility of that exercise. Jafar represents the individual that has also tried to find himself through the material wealth and then is not prepared to recognize the futility of that particular investment and ends up creating rope for his own neck. Guy Ritchie, everyone. So I thought it was an interesting sentiment. When I first read it, I was like, okay, maybe I can internalize that and glean something. That's a choice. Yeah, exactly. One of the many themes of Aladdin is that he knows what he wants, but he doesn't know how to get it when he's so used to knowing how to get what he wants. So he's willing to try anything. And because this great opportunity, this fantastical element of the genie is involved and can give him basically anything that he desires, he's like, you know what? Let's try this because I have no better plan. I have no better ideas. And so we see in this movie and in the original, I think it's handled in both actually pretty well. This was the one part that I thought was pretty decently handled. The opposition between him and the genie towards the third act of the film yeah where they had already made this proposition they had already made this deal but because aladdin basically got fucked over by jafar and almost got killed they had to take one of his wishes away and now he's like well i'm owed another wish and maybe i can't follow through follow through on my promise which is not surprising to the genie at all right but that choice differentiates his previous self to his current self, which is so enamored with finishing the con, as they put it, mm -hmm. and getting the girl and making his, his goal a reality, that he's no longer the person that he used to be. 
and he's utilizing a power that he doesn't fully understand to continue to create this elaborate lie. Which, again, is ironic that Guy Ritchie would say these things because in his movie, Aladdin isn't actively trying toward materialism. No. Because he repeatedly says to the genie, he's like, that. I don't care about that stuff. Like, that's not what I want. And he's not the one who comes up with the idea of being turned into this crazy rich prince. It's the genie that goes all out. And I think we talked about that after we left the theater, is that the genie has been cooped up for, what, what is it, 10,000 10, years. years? So he just wants to have fun. Like, he just wants to experience the world again. So he's like, you know what? If that's your wish, then we're going to go 10,000% on that. And it's true that Aladdin does turn. He's like, well, I need all of these things to keep it going. I want to make sure that I have this to fall back on just in case I fuck up. Yeah, just in case something goes wrong. But that's not what he is initially going for, which directly goes against what Guy Ritchie just said. Mm -hmm. So on to the actor. Who was adorable. Oh my goodness, he had a beautiful, beautiful smile. I enjoyed looking at him. Something I can say about, nice that you can say about the movie. I enjoyed looking at Aladdin <laughs> as long as his mouth was closed. Right. In my research, and this was an interview that I watched, it appeared to me that he basically disregarded the original film. And he admitted, and this is a quote, to only watching it once and then putting it away. Which I understand, but you're recreating a character. So to a certain extent, you have to recreate the original's work. It's a character that everyone fucking knows. So you have to be at least somewhat faithful <clears throat> to the spirit of the character. And I guess in appearance, he was. But when you really start to analyze his characterization, it's vastly different. Oh, yeah. Which could have been a good thing mm -hmm. if the movie wasn't so focused on recreating everything. Pitch perfect. Yeah. So the road to casting the Aladdin character was actually rather interesting. It was a huge struggle, and they went through multiple rounds of worldwide and national auditions. And they already had like a couple of contenders, Naomi Scott being one of them, for Jasmine. But they couldn't cast Jasmine until they were able to cast Aladdin, or at least get a narrowed down list of potentials. Because of chemistry tests. Yeah. Can you imagine basically being one step away from being a Disney princess for months and months and months, mm -hmm. waiting for the entire purpose of the movie... The title character? ...to even be essentially cast. And I think that that really hurt the end product, because... You can't have Aladdin without Aladdin. Go figure. I'm glad that they took the time that they needed to find the quote-unquote right person. But they didn't. But I think that they overthought it a lot. And I think that the investment wasn't returned. He seems like a very nice young man and he's very pretty. And I appreciate like his visual presence in the world. <laughs> but he didn't really do anything. I mean, he's a relative newcomer. He considers himself primarily an actor, and he yeah. does not have any background in singing or dancing. Which definitely showed. Paraphrasing his own words, he was challenged by combining his vocal and physical performance. He basically said that it's one thing to stand in a room and sing, 
and it's a whole other thing to act on a set and also sing and also be aware of all of these elements. So what we're saying is, kids, theater is hard. <laughs> it's difficult to sing and dance and walk and talk at the same time. Which was ultimately <clears throat> my biggest issue with him, because he didn't do a bad job. He was not the most hateful in the room except for his vocal performance yeah his vocal performance was definitely the worst and i say that begrudgingly because i guess as much as i hated jasmine like loathed with a deep fiery passion (laughs) in a different genre of music i could hear her being able to sing yeah i freely give her that if she wasn't trying to sing essentially show tunes it would be fine I mean, she has a background with Disney. She was in uh, Lemonade Mouth with uh, Bridget Mendler back in the early 2010s. And she's really known for, like, the Torch songs. Yeah, poppy Torch songs. Yeah, because in Lemonade Mouth, she sang uh, She's So Gone. And she has a good quality to her voice, but I agree with you. As far as singing on a Broadway level, no. She's not a belter, and she can't sing sweetly. Mm-hmm. which is what Jasmine's songs are. Right. Anyway, going back to Aladdin, like, <laughs> it was flinch-worthy every time he opened his mouth to sing. And I felt a little bit bad for him because you could tell he just didn't know what he was doing and that he was very much out of his element. And it's not his fault that he got cast and is being paid to do something he knows he can't do. He just seemed generally confused about portraying and transitioning <laughs> through the emotions and the different facets of the character. And thank God they didn't have him do Proud of Your Boy. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like, I might have actually walked out if he had sung that. Well, that was the weirdest thing, is that when I did my research, not one single person even mentioned the Broadway show. Because they knew that if they did, everyone would be like, um, excuse me, you had an Aladdin ready to go. He is ethnically appropriate. (laughs) He's very pretty, and I'm sure he would be happy to come in and do it. But he does work best off of other characters. Like, whenever he's not the only one in the room, he does have a good way of building a rapport, especially with Will Smith. Yeah, he and Will Smith definitely had on-screen chemistry, which was sad because he had no chemistry with Jasmine. No. But he and Will Smith, like, there was a couple cute little bro moments there. I enjoyed their talk right after they got out of the Cave of Wonders. And, of course, the awkward fest that was him being presented to Jasmine. The tiny spoons and jam. Which was the only thing that we came out of the theater laughing about. And also, I mean, this is veering off topic a little bit. But how did they make an SNL member not funny? The handmaiden, Jasmine's handmaiden, was on SNL for, what, five years? I love her. She has some of my favorite sketches on SNL. How is she not funny in this movie? And she was also in Scream Queens. Yes, she was. Anyway, (laughs) going back to Aladdin. And I think that a lot of the issue kind of comes down to, number one, they didn't cast him until the last possible minute. We both have done theater, like extensive theater. And when you get a title role, you need to have time to flesh that character out, not only in your mind and in your body, but also on the stage or the set or whatever it is that you're utilizing. And he literally admitted that they were filming the movie around Will Smith's schedule and availability. So he didn't have time to create a character himself, which we don't know if he would have done anyway, but he was never given the opportunity to try. And he even said in one of the interviews that he got the call on like a Wednesday and he had to fly out on Friday to start filming. God. 
And luckily, Will Smith can have is one of those rare actors who can have <laughs> chemistry with a chair. Uh-huh. Like, there's only a handful of people that I can watch and be like, well, they're going to have chemistry with anyone, luckily. Will Smith is one of those people. Like, he is just so charismatic. Will Smith thought that Mina was a dancer. <laughs> like, Will Smith was talking to Guy Ritchie on set one day, and the room was filled with dancers. And Mina came up to introduce himself to Will Smith. Uh-huh. And, of course, he was awkward about it. Yeah. And he didn't really say anything. He just kind of stood there and stared. And Will Smith was, like, seriously considering calling security. Oh, my God. Because he thought that, why is this random dancer trying to, like, encroach on not only my space, but also this conversation I'm having with my director? And it was only afterward that Mina came back and properly introduced himself. And he was like, um, okay. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe that they admitted that. Yeah. Like, that's kind of bad. <laughs> I wouldn't have said anything about that. They did, like, an interview. Why is the help talking to me right now? <laughs> they did an interview where Will Smith interviewed Mina and Naomi Scott. They let a lot of shit slip. It was actually Oopsies. really funny. <laughs> so, just his lack of being able to prepare for the role at all. It showed. Not only do I not think that he was supported by the script and the direction, but he just wasn't supported as, like, the bare minimum of an actor being given that time to properly prepare. So at least that makes it more understandable. Yeah. Which is the entire purpose of what we're talking about here, is to not... Excuse or explain. Or bitch. But to understand. Well, I'm here to bitch. I don't know what you're (laughs) But I mean, ultimately and sadly, he just did not embody the spirit of the character, and those are potential reasons why. Yep. So, on to your favorite topic. I don't think you should let me speak about this at all. (laughs) Honestly, I'm going to try to keep as quiet as I can during this because I cannot add positively to anything. You have feelings. I have a lot of feelings, so I'm going to shut up. This is going to be the Destry show for a little while. (laughs) So, the entire purpose, the only thing that they could potentially change about the original was contemporizing the Jasmine character. And that was admittedly on all of their parts. Every single actor, Guy Ritchie, everybody involved in the film that I read or watched interviews of admit that updating Jasmine was the only creative stamp that they could have on the adaptation. And that's just sad. That's just real, real sad. Because the entire purpose, in my opinion, of remaking, rebooting, reimagining, whatever. A already existing property is if you can change or alter or give to it something that it didn't already possess or that exists in the material but you want to bring forward. And if hashtag me tooing the movie about Aladdin called Aladdin is your main goal. I just don't know how to reconcile that. I just, I just, I I gotta say a little something. (laughs) When I think about Disney princesses, there's a lot wrong with Disney princesses. You know, there's a lot of awkwardness and a lot of things that make you wince when you watch them now. But of all of the Disney princesses, you know, women in Disney, Jasmine wasn't the one that I went, you know who needs an update? This girl right here. (laughs) Cinderella, okay. 
Ariel, please, for the love of God, update Ariel. Just please. But Jasmine was never one that I really felt like, let's dig in and find the heart of this character. Let's give her a voice. Let's change things up. Let's restructure the story so that she has something to say. Because from my standpoint, and I mean, I grew up in the 90s. Aladdin's one of my favorite Disney movies, actually. And I always loved Jasmine because she was sassy as fuck. She was very clear about what she wanted and didn't want. She made her feelings known. She made her impressions known. And yes, most of those impressions were about a dude because it's a Disney movie where the central conflict of the movie is about whether or not these two characters are gonna get married. That's just the way Disney movies are. And yes, it's sexist, but there's nothing really wrong with it because it's just, it's a cute little love story movie. Get over it. But Jasmine, in and of herself, she was very much someone who was making herself heard. She was very much someone who was going out and getting things done. She snuck out of the palace on her own to go and find adventures. And yeah, she fucked it up, but she still put herself out there. And she was emotionally vulnerable to people. Mm -hmm. She was willing to take chances on people. She was willing to see things. She was willing to break rules to help people and to help herself. She is one of the most empowered of the original Disney princesses that there are. Why did she need a voice when she had one? I mean, again, fair enough. Like, let's not make this about a dude, but they still make it about a dude. Well, no, no. Her conflict is whether or not she can be sultan. Right. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the problem that I saw that... I think that they were too close to see was the fact that that ups the stakes a considerable amount. Yeah. When she's trying in the original to decide who she wants to marry and who she wants to be with and who essentially is going to help her rule these people in this city, she wants to find the person that she believes in. That she can comfortably partner with. So when she does choose Aladdin, it makes sense because not only have they had this big history over the course of the movie, but also he knows the people really well, and it makes sense that he would help her create a better understanding of... What they need. Right. But her wanting to be Sultan, she knows nothing about these people, and she wants to lead them. I escaped the palace a couple times and wandered the streets. That means I know the people. That's exactly what happened in this movie. I know what they need. They're poor. They must want food or something. Because the quote that I found was from Naomi Scott. She said, the fact that she wants to become the leader, we just wanted people to walk out and go, yeah, that makes sense. She should be the leader. We didn't want people to feel it had been shoehorned in. It just <laughs> makes sense. For me, as an actor, my main thing is how do I humanize her and how do I give her depth? Those things just came naturally. It does feel shoehorned in. Because that was already there. She ha she was a character with depth. And they took a lot of that away from her. For a movie that has an added song about not being speechless, mm -hmm. they took away her voice. They didn't let her say anything anymore. And I didn't understand why that song was in there anyway. Because there was never a moment in the movie where she's like, I can't say exactly what I'm thinking. She did it anyway. Yeah. She just did it anyway. I didn't think that Speechless was a good song, but what made me kind of laugh about it was that it was obviously written by people who wrote theater, 
because it was meant to be a three-pronged song. If they wanted to use the song and they wanted to put it in the movie, what they needed to do was have three instances where it was used. The first instance is a short, shortened version of the song where she is faced with an, op an obstacle where either she is told to shut up and not speak or where she doesn't feel confident enough to say something. Right. You know, someone is, is saying something she doesn't like and she's like, I could say something and I can make this better, but I can't because I don't have any authority. The second time, it's a little bit longer. That's the main body of the song where she talks about how she doesn't feel like she has a voice, where she talks about how she doesn't feel like she's allowed to say something, how she has no power, how she has all of these ideas and she wishes she could make the world a better place, but everyone is trying to silence her. The third and final time that you hear that song is when the reprisal is in the movie, where she is faced with, it's the end of the line, if I don't say something now, nothing's going to happen. I am going to be locked away and everything is going to end if I don't say something now and finally I feel like I have a voice and I'm going to say something. That's the way that song was meant to be used. But they never made it so that Jasmine was speechless. And again, I could have understood if they're like, okay, so we're trying for a more traditional approach to this movie. We're making sure that we have ethnic actors, we're making sure that the writing is Arabic, we're gonna change the lyrics in Prince Ali to brush up your Friday salon. We're, we're changing all of these things to make it a little bit more culturally authentic. And a lot of the lyrics. In Arabian Nights, they made them less racist. So as a woman, she would not have had a place really in court other than to get married. She would have been heavily veiled. You know, there's all these things that they could have done to take away her voice and to say, this is the position she's in. And if that had been the case, okay, fair enough. This is the world that you're creating. You are creating a new, more authentic quote traditional traditional middle eastern world but she was always there trying to advise her father she was always trying to advise her father even though he wasn't listening to her but of course he wasn't because he was a doddering idiot even and, the original movie and he was under jafar's spell. and he was under jafar's spell he was under the influence so of course he wasn't listening to her anyway but there was never a moment where she didn't have the opportunity to say something so by her having this big torch song moment of I'm not gonna let this happen. Nothing has happened to you, sweetie. What why are you so upset? Yeah, people aren't really like listening, listening to you, but And they still don't. And they still don't. <laughs> but it's about the magic. It's not about the words you're saying. And that was my biggest issue with when it came back with a vengeance towards the end. Cause we know. We all know what the end of Aladdin is. Like fucking spoiler alert. They tricked <laughs> the motherfucker into becoming the most powerful being in the universe in a tiny little itty bitty living space. Like, we know that. That's the fucking punchline of the entire fucking movie. No one needs to explain that to you. So, by placing that song right where it was at, no matter what you say, he's still going to become the most powerful sorcerer because he has two more wishes left, and then he's gonna become the fucking genie. So, no matter what you say, no matter what you try to conjure in the people of the Inspire. court. Inspire. Right. It's not going to mean anything. And it doesn't because five minutes later, he's literally disapparating everybody. Yep. <laughs> so what did that do for you? And I think that one of the things that she said is that she considered speechless a timely message and that she wanted to inspire younger female generations to stand up against injustice. This is not a quote. This is my paraphrasing. Whether you win or lose. And I do think that that's a good sentiment. That's fair enough. I'm not going to win this fight, but at least I tried. Right. And any other time would have been a better time for that song to come in. Like any other time. Mm -hmm. But when you know that shit's about to get fucking real, 
And she's not going to have any power. She's not going to have any say, no matter what she says or how she says it. Then you just took all the power that you built up away. They undermined their own message. And I want to give her some amount of credit because it felt to me like she was the one who cared the most. Yes. Like when you watch the movie, you could tell that she actually was trying. And she was the only person I could say that about in the entire movie. And I mean, it seems like she was inspired by the role and by what they were attempting to do with it. She did use the original as inspiration. I mean, I think that you could see some of that too in watching, especially the way she handled Aladdin, Mm -hmm. like the way she interacted with him. I think that there was a lot of classic Princess Jasmine in that. Kind of the amusement and sarcasm that she throws out, that shade that original Jasmine uses. I think that she did capture some of that. It just wasn't used well. And the biggest issue that I had when I was doing my research and watching those interviews is that not only her, but everyone continued to use the word humanized. Mm, That's where I gotta shut the fuck up about because I can't even, I cannot give you enough reasons why that pisses me off. Speaking of which, I have another quote. And by the way, all of the big long quotes that I've been reading were in an article by Collider, Christina Radish. She did a extensive interview session where she like asked everybody the same question and then they put everybody's answer in different colors to represent them. But anyway, if you've got to have a significant character, that character has to earn their position. No longer is it good enough to be passive and pretty, you have to be active and formidable. This is Guy Ritchie speaking. It felt right that we should challenge Jasmine in this incarnation. She needed the equivalent of a challenge that, say, Aladdin has, but in her own way. And he constantly uses the term, quote, equality of challenge. I feel like there was never a question of that in the original movie. Like, fair enough, Jasmine didn't do a whole lot in the original movie, but it's not her movie. Right. The movie's called Aladdin. It's about a character named Aladdin. What? (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Jasmine isn't a central character, and it's not because the movie is inherently sexist. Or doesn't care. Or doesn't care. It's because the movie is about a character called Aladdin. You're making this more complicated than it needs to be. And, I mean, I've never really had a problem with her characterization. I mean, I'm not a woman, obviously. but not? (laughs) (laughs) But when she essentially disappeared, well... Princess Laid, I should say. I was just thinking the same thing. (laughs) In the third act, it made sense because there's nothing that she could have fucking done. Yeah, Aladdin had shit to do and Aladdin had to wrap up his movie. She's inconsequential to the rest of the movie. She can't fix what is broken because it's not her job to fix it. It's not her job because she's not in the position to wield the magic necessary. Because she's not the diamond in the rough. She's not the prophesied one. And she's not the one that fucked up. Yeah, she's not the one who created the issues. The entire purpose, in my opinion, of Aladdin's story arc is that you can change your standing in life. You can fix your problems. But in order for him to accomplish anything, he needs to clean up his mess. It was an unwelcome addition, in in my opinion. Yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. It caused more problems by adding something that didn't need to be added. Which is usually what they do. Because again, if they had introduced a new plot line and said, this is a new thing that we are introducing to the movie, that's fair enough. And we're changing 
how the narrative is laid out and put together. We're giving the character a chance to give themselves a voice. Right. By restructuring the character, they could have done that and made it more powerful. And at the end, yeah, she was still given permission by a man, by a man to be herself and do what she wanted to do. Yep. Which made more sense in the original uh-huh. because it was only about who she was going to marry. That was the Sultan's end of the plot line. That was mm-hmm. his through line is that he recognized, well, just because it's a law doesn't really mean it's a law because I'm the fucking Sultan, so I make the laws. It didn't feel like, oh, that's okay, honey. You can rule. That's all right, baby girl. Right. <laughs> it didn't feel like someone's father telling her that she's going to be president one day. But just for a second, going back to the point I was making, too, about Jasmine creating her own voice. Yeah. If they had done it that way, they would have accomplished what Guy Ritchie was saying about making the equal challenges. Aladdin's challenge is to fix things. Mm-hmm. It's him finding himself by doing his best to be the man he wants to be. If they had restructured Jasmine's character to being a voiceless character who wanted to be able to speak up and use her knowledge and use her voice for the betterment of her people, and at the end, she finds it and she is able to say something and she's able to change something and she's able to take her own life into her own hands. That would have been an equal challenge and an equal journey for them. Which would have made even more sense then when they come together because now they are fully formed people right. who know themselves and who trust themselves and who are ready to go out and help each other to make the best world possible. So the last thing I wanted to say was that the handmaiden character they felt was integral in illustrating the women who have shaped the Jasmine character. Sure. A lot of the things that she wanted to do and wanted to say she ran past the handmaiden first. Yeah. So she's asking someone else what she should be saying. And that's the difference is that if she was just saying, this is how I feel about it. And she was like, do you support me? And she's like, of course I support you. Then that would be one thing. But when she's literally in a very subtle way, asking permission for another woman Mm -hmm. to think and feel and say things, that's also not feminism. That's also not female empowerment because you can't, Just have people dictate your shit. It bothered me. And again, as a man, I shouldn't be this bothered by it. Because it's not my thing to be bothered by. But you do realize that every single time that you put any foot of positivity forward, you're taking it right the fuck back. Well, it's also the thing that guys always tease women about. You know, it's like, well, do you have to check with your friends before we do anything? It's a very sexist joke that they tried to turn into a positive female thing, which I never saw that as like, oh yeah, obviously she is an influencer of her life. I just got that, like, yeah, she has to have somebody she can talk to. She's essentially a mother figure to her too. She's, you know, another female presence in this world of men, the only other woman you really see in the movie. But she's not really a character. No. She's there to make babies with Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Two very terribly active babies. Uh, well. Uh, children. Children in Disney movies. <laughs> but... That's how I knew it was going to be bad. That's how you knew it was going to be bad? No, seriously. When the movie first started and the kids were like, tell us a story, tell us a story. And then he's like, oh, I'll go ahead and do it, but no singing. And then they just shut up and there's like this 30 second pause. And then it, all of a sudden he starts Arabian Nights. And it's like, shouldn't there have been like a, oh, but please, I get. And it was also him <laughs> doing like a vague accent of some kind. Like as soon as he started speaking, it was like, 
I am going to speak like this, children. Because they were so concerned with, we have to change something or else what's the point? You're just creating more problems. And that's all that these remakes do is that, well, we have to update, we have to innovate, we have to change, we have to alter so it's more timely, which is all well and good. But when you do that, you have to think about the ramifications of doing that. The original plot of these films did not think about that. Mm -hmm. That was not a factor. But when you make a different choices, you have to allow differences in the overarching narrative structure to fix those choices and to make sure that those choices are supported. And that never happens. And it boggles me because for a multi-million dollar company, multi-billion dollar company, who has hundreds of thousands of people looking at these end products months and years even before they're released to the public. How are these so poorly envisioned? Yep. Like how does no one sit there and say that doesn't make any sense anymore? And I think that everything we have spoken of so far just goes to further my point that they didn't care so hard. Like they're not caring was so intense and burning and beautiful that they actively tried to make the movie worse. They were actively finding elements that would do damage to the storyline that they themselves said did not need to be changed. They actively tried and succeeded to make this movie bad. And I feel like that contributed to the way I felt towards the third act. Because it was cute in the middle where no. the genie and Aladdin were having their rapport and the spoons and the jams. But... When the story picked back up, because it inevitably has to, I was so done because they were so done. Yep. And they ended it with a fucking dance party. Like it was the end of Hitch or something. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm just like, why? Just, just why? Like, what is the purpose of this? What are you giving me that I couldn't have already got? To make me angry. That was the purpose. It was to make me angry. I feel like someone looked into my brain and was like, hmm, what can I do to piss you off? <laughs> and they did all of those things. So I think that we're getting towards the bottom of this mystery. It's just so bad, guys. Like, I mean, I'm glad that there is at least some understanding to be had from it, but it's just so bad. And, and it made me sad. <laughs> right, it just made me sad. This is not the one that made me the most angry. Cinderella still is the one that makes me the most angry. But this is just the most obvious cash grab. I thought I was going to be fucking Beauty and the Beast. Like, I didn't think anything could top that motherfucker. And here we are. And here we fucking are. Beauty and the Beast at least tried. Well, like, they, they, no, no, I honestly believe that the people involved wanted to be involved. Yeah, I guess that's Like, true. you could see Emma Watson, like, really cared, which made it even sadder that she was so bad. <laughs> but she cared a lot, and she cared a lot about the message that she was showing. And God love her, she did what she could. So, like, Beauty and the Beast, you know, it was what it was, but it wasn't actively trying to ruin the source material that it was based on. Mm-hmm. All right, so I wanted to take a brief respite here to kind of talk about some of the things that I found interesting about the behind-the-scenes making of the movie. Rather than ripping apart the actors for a little bit? Yeah, I'll take a, take a little break, a little detour. So the first thing is that the prince in the desert, you know, everybody's favorite little meme about the, I just want to go home. <laughs> 
was played by their choreographer, Jamal Sims. And that was him expressing his real feelings of being on that set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of interesting and kind of funny. That nice they, little cameo. Yeah. And then uh, Frank Walker, uh, who was the original voices for The Cave of Wonders, Abu and Raja. Isn't that Scooby-Doo? Or am I thinking of someone else, Walker? Well, he's now Scooby-Doo. He's yeah. now Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Okay. I thought that name sounded familiar in the Scooby-Doo context. Mm-hmm. So he does Fred and Scooby-Doo. So now. he's just a voiceover actor, though? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he used to do the Cave of Wonders and Abu, you said? Yeah, and uh, he returned to do the same voices in this. That's nice. So the more important thing that I wanted to discuss real quickly was the CGI. Now, we had a lot of issues with the CGI, and I was curious to see why that was. Because usually, especially with Disney recently, the CGI has not really been much of an issue, but in this one, it was like really poorly handled, I thought. So what I found out was that the moving picture company who created the effects for Jungle Book, The Lion King that just came out, and Dumbo seemed to be the go-to studio for recreating, you know, the lions in The Lion King or a realistic type elephant in Dumbo. The Industrial Light and Magic, which is their in-house team, yeah, who also does the Lucasfilm and Marvel movies, was the one who actually did it for Aladdin. That's kind of weird. So it's odd that they chose that company to produce the effects for Aladdin because they did all the effects for the tiger and the monkey and the Cave of Wonders, and it all just looked fake. Yeah, it, it definitely stood out in a bad way. So the next thing that I wanted to discuss is the music. Naomi Scott, who played Jasmine, has experience as a pop and R&B singer, and I just felt like her voice was way too modern for what the music actually is. Well, just like all of the early Disney stuff, especially in the 90s, when you consider who they were getting to sing those songs, I mean, you have Leah Salonga, mm-hmm. who is one Tony's. You have Judy Kuhn, who's, I don't know if she's won a Tony, but she's definitely been nominated for Tony's. So you have all of these, like, big stage singers singing these roles, and then suddenly you have an R&B singer? And someone who doesn't even sing And someone Aladdin. who doesn't sing at all. <laughs> the first time we saw the trailer, as soon as A Whole New World came on, I was like, well, we're not seeing that. It was already telling me that this was going to be a train wreck, because it sounds awful. I don't even know how much of it is their fault and how much of it is the fault of the person who allowed them to sing that way. Mm-hmm. But everything is off. The intensity is off. It's all unbalanced and it's horrible and it makes my skin crawl. And I think that a lot of the issue came down to Alan Minken feeling like he had to update and modernize the score and the songs, like the instrumentality, to make it gel more with everybody's modern sensibility. We recently saw The Lion King and there was a lot of touches in the singing that was very modern but it didn't bother me so much because it was it didn't detract from what is already a fantastic song like especially we were talking about in lion king i just can't wait to be king yeah the kid who sang that was fantastic by the way and he had just a couple little modern switches to some of the more bombastic moments in that song 
and it just made it a little bit more playful as opposed to in Aladdin where they just like well we have to change all of this yeah but then they didn't actually change it like with Will Smith not actually modernizing any of the genie songs and yet not singing it the same as Robin Williams either so essentially they did nothing again and because no one apparently wanted to tell anybody no and apparently nobody felt strongly enough about any particular thing it's just kind of like this big hodgepodge of a whole bunch of ideas from a whole bunch of different people that just never come together i already ranted about speechless in our little section on princess jasmine but is that the only new song that they added i think that's the only new song they added isn't it yeah so the only new song they added didn't fit any of the other songs either stylistically or intentionally like the intention of the song. And that was concerning to me that they didn't even bother to make a song in the same style as the rest of them. Like, yes, I know that you want your song to stand out and be the only thing that people remember from this movie, but it's still in the movie. It still has to fit within the context of the rest of the music. But even with their, you know, quote, modern updating of the songs, they still didn't manage to weave that new one into it. This was definitely the very picture of a cash grab. Oh, hell yes. There was nothing artistically merited towards this. Like, random parallel for a second, but say what you will about the recent Halloween and how well it connects to its predecessor, but at least you felt while watching it that they were trying to give it something that it didn't already possess and also utilize what it did possess and update that to fit what modern audiences want and are looking for in modern horror films. It honored the original while still showing off a new style. But with this, it just, like, it had nothing new to give anything or anyone. Because it didn't need to be changed in the first place. There wasn't any updating that needed to happen. Even that, that dance that they had, like when Prince Ali is trying to get it on with Jasmine, that made me so angry. Because I remember sitting in the theater and I leaned over to you, I was like, there's a scene like this in Bride and Prejudice that would have worked a lot better. Mm -hmm. And there's like a Indian dance that would have fit perfectly for this moment. And basically when, I, when we came home and I showed you that scene, we realized that they almost ripped off the timing of all of that anyway. So the last thing that I wanted to discuss was Will Smith as the genie. And even though he didn't do the greatest job, even he, though he didn't do really anything drastically different or new, he was still definitely the most positive aspect of this entire thing. And if someone had bothered to give him direction, yeah. he would have been even better. So what I found was that Will Smith was the first to be cast. Even though this was his first ever Disney film role, which surprised the hell out of me because yeah. he's been around for forever. You would have thought at some point he would have lent his voice to something. But he had the most time to prepare and introspect about what he wanted to do with the role. And... According to him, he had a lot of uh, respect and admiration for the original character's portrayal, and in his words, he wanted to pay homage to and honor Robin Williams' depiction. Well, yeah, because that role is Robin Williams. But he was also very challenged to find his own voice, because he, he felt it was just such an iconic character and iconic portrayal. And what he said, again in quotes, is, can you do a service to the love and nostalgia 
that is connected to it while at the same time bring something new to the next generation. Well, it's the same thing as anyone who performs a Broadway role whose original person is super well known. Like for me, that would be anyone doing Mark other than Anthony Rapp. You have to hit certain parts just like the original did, but you also have to distinguish yourself and say that you brought something new to it because you don't want to rip someone's performance off either. And in the case of Robin Williams, you literally can't replicate that. Yeah, it's impossible because the man was insane. Yeah. But the thing that I appreciated the most was that he found commonalities with the character. And here's a quote. I think that it really kind of speaks to how he was able to conceptualize the character in his own way. So in quotes, I love the idea of the genie. One of the things that I related to in the genie is that the genie has shackles. The genie has these spectacular powers, but he's shackled. He is a prisoner of his spiritual fate, and that's how I felt with Will Smith. I was shackled by Will Smith. And then, these last couple of years, I've started finding my freedom. I'm getting free of Will Smith, and I'm getting more comfortable with being me. So Aladdin was that first step back out. That was a very clunky way of putting something that is really quite sweet. Yeah, I thought so as well. But that really shows me that even if he did not receive the support that he needed, and we've already discussed that where no one seemed to get the support that they needed to even give a passable performance in a lot of ways, at least he had a emotional connection to the material and he was going to try his best from his limited role as far as not being involved in any of like the pre-planning and the production side of things to make sure that he was able and capable of delivering something that wasn't just ill-informed. Well, in this kind of telling that in this portrayal, the genie goes off and has a family then, yeah. rather than jetting off to explore the world. I also like the change because it's also obvious that they are sailing the world. Yeah. So it's possible for this person who has been shackled and who has been basically manipulated, controlled, and abused to still come out in a positive way. And to choose his own destiny, choose mm -hmm. where he's going to go next. As with everyone else, he was very strong in his belief and conviction about the cultural representation of the film. Which is nice for once. So another quote from him is, I think it is critically important to be able to pull stories, colors, textures, and tastes from around the world. In this particular time in the world, that kind of inclusion and diversity will play a critical part in turning our connectivity. We have more connectivity than ever, but transitioning that connectivity into harmony is really critical. These kinds of interactions and these types of movies are a powerful global service, so it's critically important to me. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, so this story is critically important in that way. He's not much of a speaker, is he? He's not. <laughs> it seems like, regardless of how you feel about his portrayal, you can't really fault him for caring so much. And he was definitely the one that I think cared the most I agree. about it. Well, and you could see that in his performance, too, even as they were stifling his ability to do anything like why they didn't allow him to sing friend like me in a rap style god only knows because that would have been hilarious it wouldn't even have been that much of a departure from the original song and looking at the broadway version which is really the definitive version of most of these songs i'd say 
James Monroe Englehart, who was the original genie, picked such a vaudeville, big, great sound that no one was expecting Will Smith to copy that anyway. Not that he could even if he wanted to. <laughs> but what really made me happy about having him as the genie was that, in my opinion, in the original, the genie was the thing that brought everyone together. Oh, yeah. Is that even though he was the MacGuffin, even though he was the one that basically tore everybody apart because Jafar wanted him and Aladdin was using him, but essentially in the end, if he wasn't a part of that story, then none of those people and none of those things would have ever come together and connected. Like he was saying about connectivity, Will Smith was the only person that really cared about making sure that everybody came together in any capacity. Everybody was doing their own thing and they weren't really serving the greater story, but at least he found a way to be like, when I'm on screen, you and you are gonna be in the same place. Like we're all gonna be in the same location. Well, it's hard to be bad when there's someone like Will Smith standing beside you because you know that he's going to outshine you no matter what. Yeah. So you kind of have to step it up. <laughs> and I really felt that way about the scenes he was in. I felt like everyone else was like trying that much harder, particularly Aladdin. And he was the only one that everybody wanted to work with. Yeah, like everyone was excited when he was on screen. Like everyone seemed like they were enjoying themselves in the scenes that he was in. And everyone else seemed bored as hell when he wasn't there. And it was the only time that there was any chemistry on screen. Yeah, so ending on a quote from Mr. Will Smith. I would have one wish, and my one wish would be divine understanding. I just turned 50 this year, and I found that lack of understanding and confusion is the mother of fear and violence. So for me, I would absolutely wish for divine understanding to be shared with all. I think that understanding is the seed of peace. So taking it out of the context of what actually occurred on screen, in this case, in my opinion, as a white male, I apologize in advance, but in my opinion, I feel like this was one of those things that I felt was very important to bring that multicultural aspect to. It wasn't shoehorned in, it wasn't made to be there because they felt like it was checking some kind of box. This was one of those places where it needed to be, and my only gripe about that is that I wish that they had taken it from that angle and had used that better. Because there's nothing that you can give to Aladdin, in my opinion, you have to at least have a unique perspective to give me. So I wasn't even so much worried about seeing the same story beats. I'll be honest, even in Lion King, and I love Lion King, that's one of my favorite Disney movies and one of my favorite stories of all time, I wasn't interested in the story beats. I liked the world building around the story beats. Mm -hmm. I liked when they tweaked it a little bit. My One of my favorite scenes in the new Lion King was when Scar was rallying the hyenas with the new version of Be Prepared, and just how different that version of Scar was from Jeremy Irons' Scar. But still just as valid and just as powerful, just in a different way. And it was still the same story beat, and we were still making the same thing happen, but in a slightly different way. That gives you a different perspective on it, too. Like, I had never seen that moment as being such a political rally. But don't promise me something that you don't deliver on. Don't promise me a updated story of female empowerment and don't give me that. Right. The very least they were able to do was give us a diverse cast, which is great. And I love that Disney is actually stepping it up and starting to think about casting in a different way. But they didn't use that. But they didn't use it because there are so many 
talented actors and actresses out there. Why was it so difficult to pick a man who was pretty and could speak and sing? And they didn't even pick the person that Disney had already cast as Aladdin and put him on the screen. Adam Jacobs would have been perfect on screen. He has the presence, he's adorable, and he can sing and he can act. It's incredibly infuriating to me that they're like, well, you know what? All that matters in this is that they're not white. That yeah. is the attitude that it felt like they took with this casting. They didn't actually think about whether or not these people deserve to be telling these stories or whether or not, not even deserve, but whether or not these people were capable of telling these stories. It just feels like a marketing strategy. It doesn't feel like they're actively using this multicultural perspective in any way that's going to lead to the connectivity that Will Smith is talking about. And they're trying to get as many butts in the seats of all these different multicultural groups who are still not being actively and accurately represented. Like, I thought Moana did such a great job of putting that into perspective as opposed to Aladdin. I thought it was so stupid then when we did go and see Lion King. And they did a better job casting, they did a better job with pretty much almost everything involved. If they were able to do that so well, what was so hard about Aladdin? Aladdin seems like the easiest thing to do. Like, if you're going to promise us a updated Jasmine who is suddenly in control of her own destiny or whatever, deliver. Mm -hmm. Do something different. Show us something different and show her doing something. She actually didn't do anything in that movie. She did less than she did She did original. less than she did in the original. How is that even possible? It's one thing to tell us. It's one thing to show us. And you can talk about Jasmine being this updated modern woman all that you want to. And you can talk about being inclusive and connective and trying to bring all of these different elements together from all these different cultures. But if you don't do it, then that's a problem. Then, then you didn't accomplish what you said that you're going to accomplish. So why am I giving you my money? Why am I giving you my time? And if you say it louder, it doesn't make it any more true. No. To kind of close it out is that it is definitely the most disappointing of them all, in my opinion. It's the most disappointing movie I think I have ever seen. I am willing to be open to the perspective that maybe this was just not the movie made for me. Yeah. Maybe some little girl went into that movie and got really excited and got really empowered. And if that's so, that's awesome. I'm not going to take enjoyment away from someone who enjoyed something. Like, enjoy whatever the fuck you want to enjoy. But I have never seen a movie that failed so drastically. I couldn't even enjoy it because it was bad funny. Like I enjoy bad movies. Bad movies are fun to watch and make fun of. I was actually upset. I have never left a movie theater like actually upset that I went to see something. I've only ever left a stage theater once actually like physically angry that I saw something. This is a new thing for me. Don't give them money. We gave them money. I'm sorry we gave them money. <laughs> Don't give them money. They'll get your money somehow. They own like a quarter of the world anyway. Pretty much. How did the Lion King get all the bad rap but Aladdin people didn't mind so much? Yeah, I have no idea. There's, I mean, it's, it's not the greatest, but it certainly wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. Which is precisely why I think that our talking about this and talking about other things is so valid because we rarely ever are on the same wavelength with the greater zeitgeist of the time. And I kind of don't understand why that is because it makes me wonder if what we're watching isn't the same as other people. So maybe mm -hmm. we just have 
different brain waves. Maybe we're broken. I think we're broken. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yeah. but not nearly as broken as the director of this horrible movie. Yep. I am looking forward to never ever thinking about this ever again. <laughs> All right, guys, we have a Twitter at idealist underscore the. I know it's been a while since we have past uploaded and hopefully that will be changing. We've had a lot of... It's been a weird summer. We've had a lot of busyness this summer. So a lot of trips and a whole lot of uh, unexpected things have been going on. So hopefully more consistency is on the way. But we hope that you enjoy this uh, somewhat new format. This is a little bit different than what we've been doing. It's definitely more researched than previous ones. We're trying out something new. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.